When I was a kid, we would sometimes have company over to our house. And it was usually a big deal because a lot of our family lived out of town. We didn't see them that often, maybe just once or twice a year. And so it was, you know, when they were coming over, um, now we would have to clean up the house. I understand there were four kids in my family and my mom was a single mom and worked full time. So our house was quite lived in. But when we knew relatives were coming, mom would always make sure that we would pitch together and we would clean the place up and get it ready for family to come and visit with us. Um, and sometimes when our relatives would arrive, they would say something polite like, oh, your house is so nice. It's so clean. I can never keep my house clean like this. And I would think to myself, you should have been here yesterday. Don't, and don't open that closet over there where we stuffed all that stuff that we couldn't need to have a place for it. But we do that sometimes, right? We do that. We clean ourselves up to look good for people, keep up appearances. We don't want people to see our problems. We don't want them to see our messiness, our faults. And if we have any secrets, of course, we don't want to, to know that either. We might not even, we might not want people to see what's on the inside. But Jesus came to set us free from all that. And that's what the message is about today. In Jesus, we have nothing to hide. I want to read from Leviticus chapter 25, verse 14 through 17. It says, when you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you pay must be based on the number of years since the last jubilee. The seller must set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining until the next year of jubilee. The more years until the next jubilee, the higher the price. The fewer years, the lower the price. After all, the person selling the land is actually selling you a certain number of harvest. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we've been studying the ancient Israelite laws for the year of Jubilee over the last few weeks. Every 50 years on the day of atonement, the priest would blow a sacrificial ram's horn. In Hebrew, it's called a jubal, which is where we get the word Jubilee. Um, in the Jewish religion, they also call it a shofar. Uh, and at our Bible study on Thursday, somebody asked, what is that crazy spirally thing that we see on the, uh, on the slides? And that is the ram's horn. It's, you know, we think of a ram, I don't know if you do, but I do. I think of those rams we saw out west on National Geographic. They had the curly horns. But the ones in ancient Israel, they weren't really tight like that. They kind of spiraled out into a point. And so those were the trumpets that they would use to blow, called a shofar or a jubal, and they would blow to announce the year of jubilee. Everyone had a whole year off from agricultural work so that they could celebrate, they could worship the Lord, and they could just enjoy life. It was a time to smell the roses, so to speak. And to remember 
who made the roses because you weren't so busy trying to find a way to eat and make a living that you could actually just enjoy this wonderful life that God has given. Isn't it amazing that not only did God give us life, but he didn't want us just to trudge through. He actually wants us to have time to notice who we are and to think about why we are here and the relationship that we're supposed to have with this amazing God who created all of this. And the Jubilee certainly offered that time. Furthermore, all slaves were set free, all debts were forgiven, and any family land that had been sold was returned to the original family. It was a tremendously joyful occasion when, for everyone, and everyone and everything in society was renewed. People were made right with God and right with each other. The year of Jubilee is something that sounds both amazing, but also a little bit strange to people today. It's hard for us to understand some aspects of the year of Jubilee because Americans have a completely different concept of property ownership than what the ancient Israelites in the Bible had. For one, America is the land of the free. We were founded on principles that we are not bound to a king. Most people throughout history, including the early settlers who came to America from Europe, understood that they were vassals to their homeland's king. And they only came to America because the king gave them permission and he granted them land in the new world to farm on behalf of the king. Um, the American Revolution was truly revolutionary. Our forefathers revolutionized the way people in this country think about freedom, individualism, and even property ownership. They declared that all men are equal. In other words, a common man is equal to the king of England. The common woman is just as important as the queen. Furthermore, our forefathers declared that people are free, not vassals who must serve a monarch as Lord. And in this new world order, people may actually purchase and own their own property as an individual and not merely hold property and trust on behalf of their king. We take that for granted today. We just think that's the way it is. It always has been. But if, if you lived in the vast majority of history, that was not the case. That's one of the things that's so revolutionary about this country in which we live. We started a whole new way of thinking. Isn't that amazing? If you purchase your home, you understand that that property belongs to you. You don't have to ask your landlord, can I paint the walls purple? You might have to ask your, your homeowners association if it's on the outside of your house, but really it's your property, right? And we, why is it that we, we kind of have tension with those homeowners associations? Because it's our house. We should be able to do what we want with our house. It's ours. People didn't always think that way. Our house doesn't belong to the king, to the president, to the government who generously allows you to use it. It's truly yours. You can keep it. You can sell it. And we don't even think about it. We just accept it. 
But that was truly something new that started with the American Revolution when our nation broke free from the king of England. In ancient Israel, they had a totally different concept of property ownership. Ancient Israelites started out as slaves in Egypt. And then God delivered them from slavery and brought them to the land of Canaan. And God fought on behalf of the Israelites to conquer the Canaanites and gave the land to the Israelites. The Israelites understood that they didn't really own their land. God owned it. God granted it to the people of Israel. God gave each tribe, each clan, each family a certain parcel of land that was to be their land in their family. And every Israelite family understood that their land did not really belong to them. They were merely stewards of the land that belonged to the Lord God of Israel. They were there to tend the land, to live off of the land and use it you know, to support their needs to live, but ultimately to glorify God as they served as God's representatives to the world. If circumstances of life required that Israelites should sell part of their family land, there was a problem. How can you sell land that doesn't belong to you? That's the way they thought of it. So in, in a way, ancient Israelites thought of their land, they really only were leasing the land for a set number of years, the number of years until the next year of Jubilee, when the land would revert to its original holder. So suppose uh, you were still 40 years away from the next year of Jubilee, then the land might be worth $40,000. But if there were only 10 years left until the year of Jubilee, then maybe the land was only worth $10,000. If there's only one year until the year of Jubilee, then the land might only be worth $1,000. Because once the ram horn was blown on the year of Jubilee, the land automatically returned to its original owner. People are people. They've always been the same, even thousands of years ago. People have always tried to take advantage of each other when it comes to business deals. We have business people in our church, some who sell uh, cars, some that sell houses, some that sell other things. And if you sell something, you know how it works, right? There are people, maybe even really nice, really polite people, but when it comes to business, they're going to find a, try to find a way to make that business come out in their favor, even if it's not necessarily best for you. That's that old, sinful, selfish nature inside us. It's been there since the fall of humanity way back in the Garden of Eden. But God wants his people to be different. His people aren't to be like that. He wants us to be holy because he is holy. And so Leviticus 25, 17 reminds his people, show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord, your God. For the ancient Israelites, this meant making sure their real estate deals were fair and honest 
buyers shouldn't take advantage of sellers and sellers shouldn't take advantage of buyers. Everything needed to be open and transparent. They needed to take into consideration, look, the year of Jubilee is only this many years away. And therefore, if I sell you or lease you this land, it needs to be at a fair price based on the amount of time that you have to use it. And then in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Christians follow Jesus' teachings. We aren't saved by being good people. We're saved by God's grace when we have faith in Jesus and choose to follow him. Following Jesus, though, means being faithful to his teachings. And Jesus taught us to be people who repent of our sins and live lives of integrity. Ironically, the people who opposed Jesus the most in the New Testament were the Pharisees, people who were seen as the most righteous people in the community. You know, when a Pharisee went by, and you could tell who was a Pharisee because they wore special clothes, say, here I am, I'm a Pharisee. And they were supposed to be the people who lived life almost perfectly according to God's teachings in the Bible. And yet Jesus said that the Pharisees were like whitewashed tombs. They were all bright and pretty on the outside, but inside they were like rotting corpses full of filthy, evil deceit. The Pharisees claimed that they were completely devoted to the God of Israel. But then when God sent his son, Jesus the Messiah, to save them, the Pharisees rejected Jesus. They were even willing to kill the son of God in order to protect their position and power. Jesus and his followers shouldn't be like the Pharisees. We should be people of integrity. Now that doesn't mean that we need to be perfect or that we need to pretend to be perfect. Jesus didn't come to save perfect people. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save those whose lives have a little bit of a messiness to them. He came to seek and to save those who are flawed. And so if you're lost or if you've got some messes that need to be cleaned up, if you've got some flaws and things that you need to work on, then he came to save you. If you've got flaws, it's okay. If you, if you can admit your sins, you're good. Repent and believe in Jesus. And he will forgive you and he will save you. But... If you're sweeping your sins under the rug, if you're shoving it all up in the closet and closing it and sticking a chair in it so nobody looks, pretending to be something you're not, then that's a problem. It's a heavy burden to live a lie. You got to keep up appearances, you got to keep on your guard. So that nobody finds out your secrets. You got to always worry when someone might see you for who you really are. Instead of the mask that you wear. It's so much better to just come clean. 
You may lose the lie and maybe some people won't see you and think you're the hero that they once thought you were. But there will always be many, many more people who will respect and admire your honesty. And, the mo- and most important of all, your heart will be right with God. And Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus should know. He is the trumpet that calls people to repentance and announces God's great jubilee when all slaves to sin are set free and every person may be restored to a right relationship with God and their neighbors. Won't you hear Jesus calling you to repentance today? Won't you accept his invitation? Won't you hear him as he blows the ram horn on the day of atonement and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To close the service today, we're going to read together the great Psalm 51 verses 1 through 10. This passage that we've probably known and heard and are familiar with is actually a psalm of repentance, a prayer of repentance that David prayed on the occasion of his great sin when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband in order to try to cover it up. But it all came to light and he prayed this prayer to the Lord God repenting of his sin and seeking forgiveness. So let us stand and join together as we read it. May this be our heart's prayer to the Lord today so that we can experience the great jubilee he gives us in Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you. You alone have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified in your sentence. And blameless when you judgment. Indeed I was born guilty. A sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And put a new and right spirit within me. Amen.